in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hello, everyone. Thanks uh, for tuning in to another Oil and Gas Global Network HSE Podcast. Folks, we have the top oil and gas podcasts on the planet with over 500,000 downloads from as many as 172 countries. Be sure and check us out at OGGN.com. You can click on the podcast link there. And if you're in the Houston, Texas area, you can see when our next OGGN happy hour is scheduled. And please help support this podcast by leaving us a good review on iTunes. Today, I'm in San Antonio, Texas at an HSE conference. It's called HSE for Unconventional Oil and Gas 2019. And at this time, I'm joined by Kendall Lynch, who is the producer of this conference. Hi, Kendall. Hi, how are you, Russell? Fine. Thanks for joining us. Kendall, you produce this conference for who? For Marcus Evans, which is the company that I work for. So who is Marcus Evans? Marcus Evans is an event production company. So we, we produce or host events throughout different various industry sectors. This I specifically work within the energy industry. So energy conferences is what I produce. But we have conferences in life sciences, legal, energy, business strategy, capital markets, couple just a couple to name a few. Just to name a few, huh? Yeah. And so if somebody wanted to figure all that out, you go to MarcusEvans.com? Yep, that's our website, MarcusEvans.com. Okay, we'll, we'll try to include that in on the, uh, on the show notes. But I'm particularly interested in the fact that uh, you specialize in the oil and gas industry. Energy. Energy. Yep, so utilities and oil and gas type of conferences. Okay, so that would include upstream, midstream, Correct. downstream, the whole, the whole gamut of, of everything. Yep. Now, this is called HSC for Unconventional Oil and Gas 2019. Yes. So was there a 2018, 17? Yes, this is, I would say, the fifth edition of HSC for Unconventional Oil and Gas. However, our 2017 conference that we had, Hurricane Harvey happened about a couple days before the conference happened. So we had to postpone it. So this is kind of the postponed version. And that's why it's 2019 instead of the fifth edition, technically. Oh, okay. All right. Now, was it scheduled? Is it always scheduled in San Antonio or? I'm not sure actually where the first couple were scheduled, but I believe that the one, the one that did not happen due to Hurricane Harvey or was postponed, I believe that was scheduled for San Antonio. Okay. All right. So will there be another one scheduled uh, next year? Yes, probably around the same time, March 19th, 20th, something like that of 2020. Okay. So how many people are here? We have about 65 attendees total that are at the conference, which is kind of our key number of people. Our conferences are really supposed to be more peer-to-peer driven. So we 
try to make them as beneficial as possible through those networking opportunities and with the small, smaller kind of more intimate group, you definitely have a better chance to really meet some people, really make some valuable connections, be interactive within the conference presentation itself. So we want everyone to stop and ask questions throughout the presentations and just be able to talk and discuss. So that's really the the main focus of our conference is to be more interactive. And so you actually began at noon yesterday with pre-conference workshops uh, and you had some uh, some pretty high-powered people from Shell Exploration conducting one of them. Yep. And uh, then uh, the second one was entitled Recognizing Best Practices for Remote Emergency Medicine to Optimize Job Performance. Yes. Uh, right now, as we're speaking, there's a case study being presented by Scott Long of Kinder Morgan highlighting the successful tactics of Kinder Morgan's baseline tank terminal project to achieve 1 million consecutive exposure hours without a recordable injury. Right. So you've got some, some good topics. Yeah. So, again, uh, for people who might be interested to coming to this next year, they go to the website and mm-hmm. all the information will be posted there? Yeah. So we actually, another part of our conferences, I write the agenda with the help of industry professionals. So like Scott Session that you just mentioned, I talked to him and said, what are some key challenges, concerns going on within the industry, HSC for unconventional oil and gas processes? And he gave me some topics to work off of. And then I wrote that session specifically for him based on a past project that he had worked on at Kinder Morgan. So that's how I developed the whole whole agenda. But yes, if you if they'd like to come to the conference next year or just be involved or hear more about Marcus Evans conferences, they can reach out to me directly. I can give you my email address or phone number to go with the email address. What's okay. your email address? And um, we'll also we'll put that on the show notes too. So it's Kendall K E N D Y L L Two L's. My name is spelled with one L, actually, but my last name is Lynch. Oh, so, okay. All right. So, so we put the two everyone, L's every, I just always say it like that because everyone gets confused. At Marcus Evans, C-H for Chicago, dot com. Okay, good deal. We'll put that on there. And if somebody wanted to reach out to you with possibly an agenda idea or something like yeah, that, they could, uh, definitely. they could do that. You want to talk about who's sponsoring this particular one? Yes. So we have one of our sponsors is Gen Suite. And then Red Wing, who just put on a panel discussion in regards to PPE, personal protective equipment, and then Eris, well site services. So those are our three sponsors of the event. And then we have a couple of media partners. You guys are one of them. So we're, I thank all the sponsors. We're, we're having a good event so far. Well, that's great. That's good. Hey, listen, Kendall, thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me. Well, thank you for having us here. Yeah, we, hopefully. We, we enjoy it. Okay, good. so I'm going to switch gears here and actually go to uh, one of the presenters who will be presenting this afternoon. And I think he's going to be talking about something that everybody who's involved in HSE is going to be interested in. I have Rod Kuntz with Calfrac Well Services. Rod, you got so many letters after your name. I don't even know what all those are. Well, Russell, it's, uh, I've got a bachelor's and a master's in occupational health and safety. Pre- so that's what the MS stands that's for? That's what the MS is for. And I previously, before that, studied petroleum engineering. The ASP and CSP is just professional certifications from the BCSP. 
Okay. All right. Who's what's the BCSP? Oh, that's the Bureau of Certified Safety Professionals. Okay. All right. Well, you're definitely a a safety professional. Then you're with Calfrac Well Services. Yes, sir. Okay. How long have you been with Calfrac? Uh, it's coming up to nine years right now. I've I've been in the upstream pressure pumping industry for about thirty five years. Uh, had a long career with a major service company before I came to Calfrac. Well, you need to decide what you want to do in life. This is what I want to do. <laughs> okay, well, you're going to be talking about a, a really interesting, I think for people who are involved in HSE, as you and I were talking about before we started recording, the old dreaded JSA. That's correct. That's correct. It's something that uh, everyone in the industry is familiar with. In our case, the case study I'll be talking about this afternoon is we had over over time through our job audits and discussions with our crews discovered that the uh, the traditional way of doing them might not be the best way for our crews and uh, we took a different approach to it which I'm calling a segmented JSA and basically it involves breaking the crews up into smaller work groups that are specific to their work areas and have them doing their own JSAs and then have the crew supervisor take a more general bird's eye view of the entire operation with all of the contract companies and tie it all together rather than trying to group everybody together in a big clump of people and try to cover everything all at once when it just doesn't work. That's, that's the traditional, what you call here, all hands pre-shift JSA meeting. Exactly, exactly. And, and we've rolled this out a little, just about a year ago now, and, and we're getting really positive feedback from, from, our, from our crews out in the field. They feel a lot more empowered and a lot more involved in the process when they're in a smaller group in their own specific work areas. And then again, as I said, the, the overall crew supervisor has the job to, to kind of pull it all together before the job starts itself or before the work shift starts itself. And the fact that you mentioned that the employees feel more empowered, that's really critical. If you're going to send them to a boring meeting that, that they don't think even involves them 90% of it or maybe 100% of it, you know, you, you, you don't have them you don't have them engaged in, in, the, in the process, and people need to buy into this safety thing. And, and that's exactly what we found. Now, they feel, they feel more like they're in charge of their personal safety, the small group that they're working at in the various work task areas, as you said, rather than standing in a group of 25 or 30 people. And most of the time, the discussion has got nothing to do with their work area. Exactly. So by segmenting it this way, you've kind of centralized each different each different group or each different uh, department or whatever on the on the site. Exactly, we made it more personal for them. They take they they feel more personally responsible for their little work group now, and they've taken it on and, and run with it. and And uh, it looks like it looks like it's going to do some do some major good for us out on the well site. Well, that's great. Now, Calfrac Well Services, how big are they? We are operating in uh, throughout Canada, the U.S., Argentina, and Russia at the moment. So um, we're probably close to 5,000 people, and we're primarily in the pressure pumping services, so it's mostly hydraulic fracturing. We do also provide coil tubing services and well cementing as well. So typically when you go out on a job, how many in a crew or the how many crews, crews do you have? Yeah, the crews, will, the crews will depend on what type of services we're providing. On Let's say on a cementing job, it could be as few as four or five people and you get up into a larger hydraulic fracturing job, we could have upwards of 20 people on the well site. Okay, so in a, in a case like that, your JSA would, would look like what? On the larger crews like that, the JSA would look like probably 
four or five work areas broken out into smaller work groups. And then, as I said, the crew supervisor would pull it all together at the end uh, with, with, a, with a broader overall view of the entire work environment. So it, it would be groups of, of anywhere probably around three to four people in small groups having their own personal JSAs. Now, the one logistical uh, question that I have or potential problem that I have, you have to train these people to, con- instead of having one person conduct who's supposed to be certified and professional and supposed to know what he's doing, all that sort of thing. So you got one person handling the, handling the meeting. Now you've segmented it, and now you've got to have multiple people knowing how to run a meeting. And that's been part of the, uh, part of the rollout and the implementation of this new process is the training and the education of the people on how to, how to conduct a small group meeting properly and, and how to handle it. We've, we've streamlined it as much as possible by bringing in the risk assessments for those work areas that have already been done and, and using that to, uh, to, to give the guys some pointers on, on what, what to look at carefully, the recurring sort of hazards they might face. And then they, they, in addition to that, they conduct their own little hazard hunt, if you will, before they have their JSA meeting and bring in things that they've noticed from that particular work environment for that day. And they bring it all together? Bring it all together. They populate a JSA form with what they found, discuss it among their, their work groups, and then they bring that back to the crew supervisor when they're done. So how long have you been doing this? We've rolled out this new process. It's been about a year now. We're still in the process of implementing it uh, fully, but it's been about a year now since we moved to this process. And do you have any kind of statistical data as to, you know, its effectiveness? Not or? statistical data as yet. Uh, it's it's uh, still sort of anecdotal data on, on interviews with the crews and the employees. And as I said before, we, the feedback we've gotten from them has been very positive on it. Okay, so what you're going to do in your presentation this afternoon, it says you're going to present a case study? We'll go through the process, uh, the challenges with the traditional method of doing JSAs on our work crews. Which on, everybody understands everybody that. Everybody <laughs> understands that, and, and if they don't, they will this afternoon. Right, right. And you then, want to talk about some of those? The biggest thing, as we discussed briefly, was, the biggest thing was the crew supervisor traditionally trying to deal with multiple work areas in a large group setting, and, and as we said, then most of the people are going to be they're going to be distracted because much of these things that he's talking about are not necessarily relevant to their work area, and so you end up you end up getting a very disjointed and and distracted work uh, you know work safety meeting if you will, and and that was the biggest thing that we found was was the crew supervisor trying his best to to rush through everything in one large group setting, and 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 this way we found. By focusing on smaller work groups, it becomes much more effective for the employees. It makes a lot of sense. Okay, you've been, yeah, you've got your master's in safety. You have all these certifications and that sort of thing. Thirty-five. Well, actually, you said thirty-five years with a major service company, and then you've been with Calfrac. Well, at twenty twenty-five years with a major service company, and then nine years. And then, with so you got thirty-five thirty-five years here. So, let's talk about the. I guess what we would call the the culture of safety today as opposed to when you first started out. Oh, that's been that's been such a major major change. When I first got into the the HSE line, we were looked at as as safety cops if you will. The feeling was that that the job was to go out and find people doing something wrong so you could pull them up for it. That's gone through such a major evolution over the years now. 
We're partners with operations. We support operations. We're part of the operational excellence team, if you will. And we're just, uh, we're just a, a support group to the operations people. So we've been totally integrated into operations for quite a number of years now. So it's, it's, it's gone through a major, a major, major change. Now we're looked at as a resource, a technical resource, if you will, to the operations team to, to help them through whatever issues they might have. Okay, so what drove that change? I think it was the, 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 growing, the growing concept of overall operational excellence in that, in that you don't work in silos. You, know, you don't have an HR silo and an operations silo and an engineering silo and an HSE silo. We're all on one team. The end goal is all the same, and, and that means that everybody has to be, be mindful of, of, of everyone else, and you've got you to have partnerships built between the various departments to work together towards a common goal. Yeah, and I think in doing that, if I understand it correctly, just what we're talking about here about the employees buying into these segmented JSA meetings, you've got to take that goal and you've got to translate it to the employee. And he's, he's got to, we actually did a, um, a podcast. It was an SPE event for the Gulf Coast section, and they were actually doing a little uh, golf tournament at uh, Top Golf. And uh, we had one of the top golf PGA professionals there, and we were talking about some of the rule changes in golf. There's been more rule changes for 2019 than there has been in 30 years or, or something like that. And one of the things that, that, that we talked about there was, you know, yes, there are rules. There have to be rules. The thing about golf is you don't have a guy in a zebra shirt. You know, golf, everybody respects the rules. And what you have to do in safety is you have to get this buy-in where everybody is, is respecting the rules. And to me, that culture seems to have, have shifted. And one of the things we say on this show all the time is this, this HSE show is about getting you home to your family uh, for dinner at night. You know, That's what safety is, is about. That's, that's exactly right. And that's one of the things that's changed over the years now is that we've, we've been successful in, in as you said, making it personal for the employees and, and, and making them understand that it's not just about you coming to work every day, but it's about people that depend on you to come home safely every day. And, and it, it's been very successful in, I would say, making people a lot more cognizant of, of what the bigger responsibilities that they have. We keep telling them every day, when you go to work, there are two things. We call it our license to operate. It's safety and service quality. We can't have operational excellence without the service quality part of it, nor can we have operational excellence without the safety component of it. So it's something that has to be worked together. And, and I think they've become very cognizant of that, and, and, and it's, it's, it's in the forefront of their minds all the time. Well, and you have to keep it in the forefront. Part of the problem is, is it's always, it won't happen to me. So the rules don't apply to me. You know, They may apply to everybody else, but not to me. That's been long a still a sort of a behavioral aspect that still exists. But what we've done is we've taken it one step up and we've, we've promoted this concept of actively caring for each other in that we encourage our people and they become very good at it. And they say, not, not just taking care of yourself, but when you're out there, you have an equal responsibility to watch out for the guy working with you. And if something is going on that makes you uncomfortable that that person is doing, you must step in and talk to the person about it and make sure they understand that you expect them to do the same for you. And it's not that you're 
pulling them up on something. It's just that you're helping them go home to their family safe, and that's what we're, that's what we're there to do together is, is to keep each other safe. That's exactly right. So, not to put you on the spot, but uh, with 35 years' experience in the safety aspect of it, what's maybe one of the, I, well, I started to say, what's one of the funniest things you've ever, ever seen? Sometimes they're not really funny, but. Well, I hate to tell, I hate to tell stories, but. Oh, we love stories on this. This is, this is. I had, I had a gentleman, this is quite a number of years ago, not with Califrac, but quite a number of years ago, who decided to check the level of liquid in the tanker that he was going to take out on a pumping job that day. And it was a blend with methanol in it. And he decided to check the level. Oh, no. By holding, already... holding his Zippo lighter <laughs> over the open hatch to see down into the dark. And as you can imagine, it did not end well. That, that it did, did not, not end well. It did not end well. Luckily, luckily, he wasn't seriously hurt. But yes, the old saying goes, you can't make this stuff up. It really happens. It, well, exactly. And, and people need to realize that it, that's what we were talking about a while ago. People need to yeah. realize that it happens. And we need to all be involved in trying to make sure that things like this doesn't happen. And it, and it goes back to the initial orientation training that we do our people when they come on board. We say, for goodness sakes, stop and think for a minute about what you do, what you're going to do, and what could go wrong, and then make sure you do it in such a way that that can't go wrong. That's We always look for a safety tip of the, of the week on, on every one of our podcasts. I think, can you repeat that one more time? I call it, I call it the take two. Take two. Take two minutes to think about what you're going to do, what could go wrong, and then do the job such that you avoid the hazards that you just thought about. So take two. You know, that that's a really good point because sometimes you, you do the job and you've done it so many times over and over again, and you don't really stop to think. I have a friend who, he was taught by a, a guy who was in the Air Force how to uh, skydive and they lost track of each other and then they wound back up in the in the same city and so my friend goes to see his friend who taught him how to skydive because he heard he was doing it out of some little private airport so he went over to the airport and he asked for the guy and they said well he's not here and he said well I was told this was the airport that he used they said he's not here because he's dead and my friend said I didn't know he was sick. Did he have a heart attack? What was the deal? They said, no, he died in a skydiving accident. My friend said, that's impossible. This guy was the greatest skydiver there ever was. And the man looked at him and said, that was exactly the problem. And so he had some problem coming down with his parachute. And instead of doing what he should have done, he was so confident he could could repack it or or whatever. And and by the and he didn't. And by that time, it was it was it was too late. And so not becoming so, what do you call it? Not, not Complacency. Not, right, exactly. <laughs> but the complacency is caused, actually, ironically enough, the complacency is caused by competency. Competency is one of the precursors to complacency if you let it be. And the other thing that we continue to tell our people and press on them is that if you take a shortcut, usually nothing happens but then that means that it's okay to do it that way. And we keep telling our people that, no, that's not okay to do something like that. Even though it didn't happen to you this time, if you keep doing it that way, taking the shortcut sooner or later, something's gonna go wrong. It's gonna, something's gonna go wrong. And when it does, it's gonna be really wrong. Absolutely. 
So, hey, listen, I've enjoyed this uh, conversation. In fact, I, th- I think we could probably, with all of your experience in safety and whatnot, we may even want to talk to you again. You've got to be a, a wealth of information, and you've got to have a lot more stories. Got many of them after 20-plus years overseas, got many of them. Overseas? I spent just over 20 years internationally with the first company I worked for, yes. And what countries were you in? Oh, gosh. Aberdeen, Norway, Germany, France, West Africa, Middle East, Far East, South America, Caribbean, and North America. Wow. So what's your favorite country? Right now, I guess I would have to say it's the U.S. because that's where we're living. <laughs> <laughs> okay, as far as international, all those um, you, all we had those some, you we rattled had some, off? We had some really good assignments. Norway, Norway was a really nice assignment, as was Aberdeen. Singapore was great. The Middle East was, was excellent. We really enjoyed our time in the Middle East as well. So, yeah, we've had some good assignments. Even with the weather in the middle, even with the heat? Uh, you get used to it. Oh, really? <laughs> I, well, I guess I wanted to talk, you know. I live in Houston, was born and raised in Houston, and, and uh, I have a brother who's 17 months younger. He was too, but he's since moved off to California for the last 30 years. He comes back here every once in a while in the summer, and he says, I can't believe I grew up in this <laughs> Exactly. No, and, we st- we spent many years living in Houston as well. And you definitely you definitely get used to the to the heat and the humidity. Rod, if somebody wants to uh, get in touch with you, and especially if they're interested in uh, any of Calfrac services and whatnot, uh, how do they do that? Our website is Calfrac. That's C A L F R A C dot com. Okay. And uh, they could reach out to me at R K U N T Z at Calfrac dot com. Easy enough, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. And with that, we're going to let you go because I know you got to get ready for this presentation. Great. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and 